0: Welcome back to part two of the Musicians of the Midnight Sun podcast interview with Ted and Leslie Wesley. Can you tell me about the, re- the recording process or, or
1: the, the story of the recording itself? And um, Well, yeah, the for songs, sure, the for sure. When we, when we decided uh, that we were going to record, like we were totally brand new into this. We never, never recorded anything. You know, it, it wasn't that accessible. First of all, recording, you, you had to be in the studio for that kind of thing. Of course, you know, I was doing, like, basically a single gig. And uh, now, in order to record, like, we needed a group. So, well, I didn't know anything about groups. So we asked for their help. So we wound up, you know, I had, uh, what was his name? Um, Don Patches. Don Patches is the, the kind of, the wound up scoring the music. He had called a couple of his friends. Well, it was actually the some of the, the nomads, the old group played for us. Then there was a a choral group, and the four voices, two men, and two women, that did the vocal vocal part parts behind me, and the strings were from the symphony orchestra. Edison yeah, Symphony.
2: Yeah. And
1: uh, that's basically how it was manufactured at that time. And then, of course, the second album was a little little bit easier because. We already knew what what had worked. You couldn't afford to put, keep the, the symphony and all the songs and, you know, because you know the, the costs are too great. So we started limiting them them to just playing their little parts and highlighting and, mm-hmm. and stuff like this. And then by the time we came to the third album, it was basically, I walked in the studio.
2: That was Eastern Sound, though? That
1: is Eastern <laughs> Sound, Toronto because they figured, you know, uh, Yuri from Boot Records decided uh, uh, to, uh, I should do one in the East, you know, to get more exposure, to get more airplanes and stuff like that, because, you know, become an Eastern kind of a product. So I walked in the studio and there is Red Shea, who is Lightfoot Sleep guitar player, John Stockfish, his bass player, and this kid called Brian Russell, but he, he Red Shea, who's was a lifeless leader he said, listen, partner, he said, keep this guy on the electric. He says, nobody, nobody can touch him. Okay, sir, <laughs> yeah, I'll listen. So he's, he's he, so we started, you know, it was basically like a live performance. We went through the song once, it was like a second take period. They had no rehearsal. They heard me playing it. Then they just j- jumped in. And this Brian started he was on the electric and he started using his volume pedal. Instead of so you wouldn't hear the plunk of the guitar the the strings. You just hear the swell of the so it's almost like a like a steel guitar, like a, almost like a I don't know, it was just <laughs> some really neat effects. And so that was the third album. Done really well. Were you writing for all of these albums? Like, were were
0: you writing, or were were, were you doing cover songs, or what kind of material No, no, no. We
1: were no. doing. we doing. Do, the only ones I ever recorded were, were northern, northern songs. And a lot of them, like if you're talking to Eastern or uh, in Uvic area, that was Bob Rizica. Most of his stuff, and then Ralph Bean came along, and, uh, and then I did a few of my own and. Uh, Doug Leonard, of course, he helped write a couple of tunes where he wrote the poetry and I put it to music kind of thing. And Frank Ferguson, uh, uh, never heard of uh, Chuck McAvoy, but uh, I told him the story and he put it down. And, uh, yeah, it collaboration. It. and uh, you know, it was just kind of more of a... Con- 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 One of
2: my favorite songs is Caribou Song, and we were living in Vancouver, short, for a short period of time, Ted was doing a stint in Vancouver. We're living in one of Pat Carney's homes there temporarily. And the phone rang, and Ted was in the shower, and it was Wolf Bean. And he said, where's Ted? I said, he's in the shower. Can he call you back? And he said, well, i got to catch a plane really quickly, so, but he said, I just wrote this song. And he said, Ted's got to record this. He's got to record this. And I said, okay, what is it? Send it to us. And he said, I'll sing it for you. So he sang Caribou's song on the phone for me. And he says, tell Ted he's got to record this. So I'll call him later. So uh, he's. I think he ended up sending us a, oh, yeah, a cassette or a something or a tape of tape of it. And he said that I, he said I basically wrote this song for. Ted. <laughs> it wasn't a cassette. It was a real to real. Yeah, real to real, and it became, uh, one, well, it's just it's a beautiful, incredible song, and and Wilf Bean was like that. He wrote from his experiences in the north, but he had no desire to record it, and years later when we contacted him, when we redigitized the, like I was telling you last night, the three albums, he, dug, he said, oh, I've got some more stuff to hit. I'll dig it up, I'll dig it up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, people sang and recorded and wrote for the love of the land and the people. It, it wasn't, there was well, no story ulterior itself. motive, there was no, yeah, it was to share. How did, how did
0: you meet? How did you meet these guys, or did they they just hear about you and then contact you? Well, that way?
1: basically, and then well, the north is pretty small, like you know, like yeah. When, uh, you know, you're always passing through Yellowknife, <laughs> and you, in those days you always wind up stopping at the Hoist Room, or mm-hmm. yeah. or I'd be traveling, and come across these people. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah, I remember Vizika saying, "Yeah, do what you want with them." you know, like, and then Wilf Bean was a little different because there were more layers with Wilf Bean because Wilf Bean was a good friend of my sister's and had connections with the community that my sister lived in in Vancouver. And and so they had mutual friends and they're still friends to this day. And he's retired now and living in uh, Nova Scotia, I think it is. Yeah, so we had lots of kind of other connections with Wilf Bean throughout the years, but wonderful songwriter, oh my God. He's a beautiful human beautiful being. Beautiful like, person, means. beautiful human being. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So once you recorded Straight North and you were on a, a label and being distributed then, you were were you touring a lot? Like, were you going out playing live gigs a lot? or?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, throughout that course of the time, like for, just for an example, like I was, uh, uh, one of the songs, uh, there's a line in there that says, The Sleeping Giant's Breaking Free.
2: Northland's Destiny. Northland's yeah.
1: Destiny, yeah. that's what it was called. Yeah. O- Okanda. Look, o- look, north the and and Sleeping Giants, Bristol-Free Well. I had a phone call from uh, Thunder Bay from a guy who hotel there. And uh, he says, Sleeping Giant, you're singing about my kind of country. Because the Sleeping Giant's is the big rock that's just outside Fort William and Port Arthur. This is a t- transition when... Uh, Thunder Bay became, became one, know, they tied the two communities together. And the Sleeping is the big rock that they have out there, says, you gotta come over here and do a show for us. So I wound up there, then I wound up playing in uh, the Confederation Center in Charlottetown, and you know, this is di- different times. And the one show I did in, in Quebec City, Another show was in, uh, I think it was Ottawa. And then I got, got touring around and did a few, a few other big gigs. Got invited to Vancouver here, playing at for Schmonkey, a big fundraiser for the National Hockey Team. We played at the Col- Coliseum. Oh, well, that was 73,
2: yeah. 1973,
0: yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you were starting to rub shoulders with a whole other sort of level of musician oh, yeah. and yeah. composers, arrangers, studio
1: musicians. Well Was just an example, a after after we did the barge thing, mm-hmm. Ian and Sylvia came through, I opened for them. Valdi came through, I opened for him for for Valdi. This is in the late sixties
2: then? Well Ian and Sylvia would have been nineteen sixty eight. And Valdi would have been a little bit later than that. I was still in yeah. public school there, I remember, because... It was common for Ted to open for whatever... Because I opened for them, and... Yeah, uh, came
1: through. Volley came up there and started, started playing. Busted two guitar strings. Bing, bing. And he was playing a Martin like, mine, And I just finished. So we swapped guitars. He's never forgot that.
2: No, we met him years later in Fort McMurray. He came up, uh, so I'm thinking, we've been gone from Fort McNough for, for almost five years. So maybe six years ago, Wally came through and played the Keanu College in Fort McMurray, and we had not seen him for decades. We waited around till he was done and in the lobby, and everybody was getting autographs and stuff. And then he looked at Ted, and he kind of said, Ted, Wesley? And he said, hi. And he shook his hand, and he said, you still got that Martin? <laughs> wow. You know, it's a tremendous memory of all he has. Just incredible, yeah. you know. But he said, no, he he really enjoyed that show in Yellowknife. He said, I really enjoyed that show.
0: So even before you were recording, you were rubbing shoulders with Ian and Sylvia's and
2: the
1: Hall. Oh, that's awesome. that's oh awesome. yeah, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, because... The world was pretty small.
2: Yellowknife, I mean, there weren't <laughs> that many musicians. And then and the Lightfoot, Knight, of course, had. was
1: coming through. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, he was one of my mentors. Yeah. Uh, I grew up falling in love with him and doing the storytelling part of it that he did that he does so well. He was he he was quite a kayaker. He used to do uh, uh he was come, come up to do the Copper Mine River a few times and he'd stop we were at, ran into first of all we ran into each other at the Juno's. What what year was that
2: Seventy seven. Okay.
1: Yeah. So we had uh, I met him then but then we re-met re- re- again when he was coming through Yellowknife. He'd stop in and basically stay with us. Yeah,
2: he stayed with us for a couple of summers, just like overnight, so mm-hmm. he wouldn't have to, because he would get hounded at the hotels and stuff, mm-hmm. so he'd stay with us. And
1: so we had the privilege of getting to know him yeah, way I well. Home and home a
2: little bit there. And
1: then I got invited to play for the Miss Rokanda pageant in uh, in Ottawa, and he was playing in it. And uh, Harry Chapin yeah. played the same show, yeah. so I got an invite, you know to to Gordon's place after, and it was quite, quite a beautiful home in New York. You said you were at the Junos. You got to meet
0: Gord Gord Lightfoot at the Junos. <coughs> they
2: were really fun because we also knew Trooper really well, because uh, Brian Smith Smith was a a neighbour of Ted's best friend in in Langley, so we already knew Brian quite well, so of course they were at those Junos, they were big, their song, I think, one for the money, two for the show had just come out and they'd been nominated, and then we we sat at the tables, Leona Boyd, and and the Emeralds from Edmonton, who were up for a lot of awards, and um, of course, that was the year that Murray, Murray McLaughlin's song, um, Farmer's song, was so big, so he won in that category. Well, actually, I, actually, I actually sold more albums actually, than Actually, he. Ted would have won that without that song, I think, because and, he, uh, he, we had sold so but many But he
1: albums. was more popular. He, we got, he got a lot of airplay. got play. more airplay yeah. than others. Than it was an amazing song.
2: and I mean, that song has, has stayed the test of time as well. Yeah. But the Juniors were fun because we knew people there. We had a great time. We just had a great So time.
0: one of the albums, your album of that year was nominated? Like you were nominated or something? Yeah, was yeah. It, was, it was a song called uh,
1: Long Dusty Road. Long
2: Dusty Road. Yeah. From uh, Fluffs, right. North of Canada. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Exciting times.
1: Just beat me out the bugger. But that's okay. Yeah. okay. I, still, I sing the farmer song at the... Yeah. Still You perform at the Legion here for the, for the, they for love the it. guys. They yeah. guys and There's a lot of farmers in this area. And, you People get quite teary-eyed, and
2: oh, and that year too, Pat. The big, the big uh, song of that year was Carol Baker, and she had come out with Chris Christofferson's song, um, "Lord Help Me, Jesus," and she sang that live, and you—I mean, she brought the house down. A powerful, powerful singer. She sang it live at the Junas as a guest singer, right? So that was, yeah, it was a good year. It was a good year for music. Powerful moment yeah, for sure. It so was.
0: This is very, again, very early.
2: So it was right at the end of the era that you're looking at, like yeah, you're looking at yeah. to the, mid-70s, to the mid-70s, but it might have yeah. been in there. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, no, for sure.
0: But again, in, in those years where, where I think you know, the Canadian sort of music, quote-unquote, industry was just sort of trying to get out from underneath the American industry no, that, and find yeah. itself. And so the Juno Awards, I think, were sort of at the time just a pillar of of yeah. that, the industry being able to celebrate its own, whereas before that, there wasn't really sort of anything that way. And so it really no, was bringing the sort of it's national ...Canadiana, Canadian,
1: that's yeah, exactly. basically what... Yeah, and that's
2: what it, it actually... Tied, it was tying like the country together. Like
1: that. Yeah. The biggest thing that kind of drives me is that, you know, first of all, you look at yourself. Who am I? Well, you know, you have to keep pride in your in yourself in order to be able to recognize others for doing the same but as a collective this is this is what you come up with you can come up with Canadiana. you know sure you yeah, gordon comes from there uh, you know you got your stan rogers uh, you know uh, john john uh, Hine, or ron hines i mean and uh, you know these these guys are Tremendous performers.
2: Tremendous. That was such an honor meeting Stan Rogers. Such storytellers. Yeah, tremendous storytellers.
0: Yeah, well, and and mentioning Stan Rogers, and maybe we'll just carry carry it, just beyond the 70s. Uh, You have to if you want, (laughs) because that's Hulk
2: the Rocks.
0: Well, okay, so there you're coming off of, again, headier times, you keep wrapping it up there. And so you're in the late '70s, and and, and integral in folk in the rocks. So how did that all come together?
2: So folk in the rocks became out of an idea. But if you back up the bus a year or so ago, Ted was invited to. I think it was 1976, if I remember correctly. He was invited to play at Frago Folk Festival in Faroe, Yukon, and there that was a really going festival at the time, and there were big names that were be. That's the festival where we met David Essig and, I'm just trying to think and of the Flying Mountain. Flying Mountain from Vancouver is, yeah. who were amazing and Ted played at that festival and then he, when, then when he came home he said, you know. And
1: Pair and pipe Yeah, pipe Pair,
2: yeah. So he said, why can't we do something like this in Yellowknife? We should be able to do something like this in Yellowknife. And I can remember saying to him, where are we going to get the musicians? And he said, all over the north, because he had I had
1: a vision there, and actually well, Heather Pritchard, and then, then we incorporated Rod Russell into it. Rod came a little bit after that. The concept that we wanted to inspire with the folk was we wanted, it was a basically for the musicians to come out of their settlements, have a place to play. You know, I was being very selfish, to say, thinking this is for the musicians.
2: Yeah. Really was yeah
1: you know this is for the musicians to get together and to exchange ideas and play together and and just rejuvenate and recharge for going back to their little settlements and you know so you get, so they got something new to practice, they hear new sounds and and I, new ideas and, and then we thought, okay, well, but we should have, we should incorporate the south, so we'll bring in three groups from the South, but they have to be able to share, to teach, and to do workshops with the rest of the musicians. Like this is without the public, right? Like a, you know. It was like a workshop, a big workshop. A big workshop, and then you perform, show off your talents, and this is where the audience comes in. The audience just benefits, reaps the, Benefits of the the crop that was planted, mm-hmm. and you know the fruit get they get the fruit. And didn't the
2: idea? How they come out of stage on the rocks? That came before folk the rocks. Well,
1: the stage on the rocks was behind the Garden Apartments, where we initially filmed uh, the Canada Day celebrations. Okay. And when CBC came in, they decided because they went right across Canada, they finished off in Vancouver. Then they came north because we had the midnight sun. So we'd actually finished the whole show in the north. So the stage was set up, built on the basically on the the edge of the frame lake. And there's a beautiful outcrop of rock right behind the garden apartments where the midnight sun would be coming in from the north, reflecting off the water, right kind of stage left. The audience was sitting up on the rocks watching all this, and we were singing, you know, like, we like a little small amphitheater, right? We called that stage on the rocks, But I'm sitting there playing, and I'm looking around and people sitting on the rocks, and just like uh, Good Scotch or something on the rocks, you know, it was folk, folk on the rocks. That's where the name came from. <laughs> so.
2: Yeah, yeah Folk on, on the Rocks, its first year was 1980. Officially. 1980, 1980 was it founded, that was the first Folk Fest. So the
0: Stage on the Rocks would have been? was before that, 80s, 1979
2: 70. I think 78 and the the 70, 79, they yeah, yeah, yeah. did two years there. Yeah, but that's where the name came out of. Still
0: a, uh, an institution up there and still yeah. you know, going strong, although it's, it's definitely changed as the music has and as the musicians have. And, just to turn over the generations. But the big
1: thing is still the Northern Collective that, uh, you know, the, the, the musicians of the North, that's, that's who yeah. basically I care about, mm-hmm. you know?
2: Well, it's evolved, but, it, but at least the essence of the idea, but the original idea was mm-hmm. there. But it really was, in those early days, it was a musician's festival. And one of the in other this, prerequisites
1: yeah. that we had in those days was it was acoustic. Yeah. Yes. Y- yes. Yeah. You were mic'd, yeah. but you weren't plugged in. You weren't plugged in, yeah. You know what I mean? So, well, except for the bass, maybe. Yeah. yeah. You know, but uh, it was it wasn't like the guitars, for, and yeah, it, was, it was all down acoustic down. something you could throw on your back and and play by the campfire, and yeah. you know, that's basically what it was. Because when you're in a village or a little small settlement, you're not plugged in. No. This is, this is what you do. You
2: know, my favorite story of Folk in the Rocks, Pat, in in 1980, and I was working in the bank at the time, and myself and my assistant accountant were charging the money. And in those days, there was no credit cards, nothing. It was all mutilated cash, right? <laughs> and so we had this little hut out there. So we went out early the first day of the Folk Festival to kind of set up, and I remember thinking, I wonder if anybody will come. And it was a beautiful morning. It was early. It was probably about eight o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, I heard this fiddle in the background. This beautiful fiddle. And then I heard the guitar, and I thought, "That's Ted." It was Ted and Colin Edgeham playing way out. In the, and I and I just thought, "This is we're going to make it." I just I just had this overpowering feeling that you know that if nothing else happens, this is what it was meant to be. Colin from. You know the Arctic and Ted from Yellowknife and they got together and they just started playing. They just started jamming. It was just amazing and From then on it was like we were and we were overwhelmed with people and no security <laughs> Holy crap what just happened here, you know, you are not organized Well, it, Heather it and Michael are like,
1: the very first, first yeah, folk on the rocks. My sister
2: there. and her boyfriend slept on the stage so that nobody would steal the instruments and the, the well, equipment, you know, the they to, and whatever. They built the stage they lived, and yeah. they
1: didn't want to vandalize and equipment was getting set and up for the bags. next day and yeah. you know, power being supplied. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was crazy. But they slept yeah. on
1: the stage, yeah. <laughs> the sleeping bags, rolled them out. And
2: yeah, it was three days of absolutely amazing northern, and it was really northern music. It was really all of these people from the communities, the fiddles and the guitars and the drums and the, you know, it was just incredible. Yeah, it was fun. It was a lot lot of of
1: fun, boy.
0: I would like to thank Ted and Leslie for sharing their rich musical life story with Musicians of the Midnight Sun. To hear more, see photographs of their lives and the full interview transcript, check out musiciansofthemidnightsun.com linked in the show notes. You can follow along as well on Facebook and Instagram. If you would like to support the continuation of this project, please donate it on our website, musiciansatthemidnightsun.com. I would like to thank the City of Yellowknife Heritage Committee and the Northwest Territories Creative Industries Economic Recovery Fund for supporting this podcast series. And to thank the Northwest Territories Arts Council, Government of the Northwest Territories Department of Education, Culture and Employment, the Yellowknife Community Foundation, and the City of Yellowknife Heritage Committee for supporting the website so far full list of supporters can be found on the website the archival audio of this podcast is from the northern musicians project collection at the northwest territories archives i'm pat Brayton. thanks for listening